welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. You will hear about industry insights with award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur, Jason Pereira. Through the interviews with different experts with their stories and advice, you will learn how you can navigate the challenges of being an entrepreneur, plan for success, and make the most of your business and life. And now, your host, Jason Pereira. Hello and welcome. Today I show Susan O'Brien, author and founder of Network Thinking. I brought on the show to specifically talk today about intergenerational wealth. We've covered that topic on a number of occasions. However, this conversation goes a little bit further down the pipe than others in that we're specifically talking about decisions and discussions surrounding money with smaller kids, not your adult children. And she's got some experience in this, and I thought it would be valuable to have the conversation. So here's my interview with Susan. Susan, thanks for taking the time today. It's wonderful to be here with you, Jason. And today I've actually talked to your kids about Money Day. So it's a perfect day to be talking about money with uh, with your children. You know, if I was better at this, I would have timed it for release on that date. But, you know, I'm, I'm okay at this. So let's just say it's still hobbyist. Anyway, so Susan O'Brien, tell us a little bit about what it is you do. So what I do is I really prepare people for uh, financial confidence in their retirement and beyond. So, of course, living out their years. And I focus on the entire network of the family, particularly when I talk about family, I'm talking multi-generation families. So I'm part of a four-generation family. I've got my mom, myself, children, and even two grandchildren now. And so my focus is really on all of those generations. And what I see in people is that they do want to be financially independent and they do want to create enough wealth that they can take care of themselves and their family. But often the most important thing is their children and grandchildren. And those children and grandchildren becoming good stewards of wealth, to have good money habits, to really learn to be compassionate toward others, to um, engage in the community around them. And as you mentioned at the very beginning, this starts at a really young age. Absolutely. And this is something I've since became a father, became obsessed with. Um, I mean, I think particularly working in the financial industry, we all have our horror stories of when it goes terribly awry. And, you know, we also get to see the stories of when it goes incredibly well. And I'm sure on multiple occasions, I've had situations where I've actually, you know, met the client's kids and been like, tell me everything you know about parenting. Because that worked out really well, right? And and that that resonates not just typically to you know the type of person they are, but oftentimes the money as well. So talk to me first and foremost about how these conversations got started in general in your practice. Like when did this? Hey, how do I deal with a little kids aspect? Like how did this come about? Well, it's a gradual process because as you mentioned, you mostly meet with the generation that has accumulated some wealth or is accumulating some wealth, and you're really making sure that they are managing that wealth properly. And if you meet with them in their 30s, um, they're having children. And so, so exciting to be at that moment in time when they're having children. And over almost 23 years now, I've seen those children graduate from university and go on to further education. And now they're having children of their own. And so we have this generation that I started with really advising on money matters. And then we have their children and now the grandchildren are coming along. So I've had the privilege, really, having my own children going through this and all the mistakes I made, and there are many. They're all young adults now. And I have the privilege also of having my uh, five-year-old granddaughter live with me. And she's been living with me since she was about three years old. And so I've been able to see the changes over time. 
between, you know, how grandchildren or how grandparents of my mother taught me, how I taught my children, and now how parents are teaching um, their young children. And it's just becoming more apparent that at an earlier age, they're they're on screens, they're on YouTube, they're seeing, you know, my, my granddaughter can figure out what the commercial is on YouTube, but she doesn't realize the show is also a commercial trying to sell or something. So three-year-olds are very astute, very astute when it comes to, I guess, being sold to in a way, or what is money, or that you need money to buy things, or where money comes from. And so I think that we wait as parents and grandparents, we just wait too long to think about how do I, how do I teach my children to be good stewards of money? Yeah. And I will say this is something that probably has to happen a lot earlier than most people think, because frankly, I, I see the bad habits forming before high school, quite honestly, let alone, let alone once they get later on in life. I mean, and especially if they're not ready for it by the time they hit university, where they are suddenly all responsible for their own spending. And the second they hit campus, it's like, hey, want a credit card? It's brutal, right? Like they're just not ready for it. And I've, I've seen countless kids have to be bailed out by their parents on countless occasions. So that's how it got started. And you saw all this. Let's talk about different age ranges and how you approach it at different age ranges. So what's the youngest that you typically start kind of coaching or telling people to start coaching or having these conversations with children? I'll believe it or not, it's three. I'd like to hear that I'm already I'm already ahead of schedule. Good to know. Okay. <laughs> and the teachable moments come about in everyday life, whether you're going to the grocery store or whether you're going to the bank or whether you are using a credit card or a debit card. It's just those everyday teachable moments, as well as there's some great books for you know that three to six year old uh, group that talks about money and what money is and how you make money and. So there's lots of great resources. So, so it's money conversations. It's just incorporating it, parents and grandparents into everyday life with young children. Oh, I'm buying this, I'm buying that, or this costs this much. And having those teachable moments. But there's also some good resources out there like books. The one thing I found in our consumer society is um, that kids as young as three are like, I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that. I want, you know, it's like they've got a case of the gimmies. So that's, I think, something that needs to be really talked about in families and really put to rest. You just don't need every single toy. I thought my daughter, her favorite words are, I want, I want that. I want to touch that or I want to eat that. Those are, you know, like without failure, that's, that's what she always says. So um, what age is she? Just let, let so she, she is three and a half. Um, okay, so and, you're, right in but, the, but, you're right in the throes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, you talked about books. Let's give me, give me some examples. I got my one go-to. Let me see if it's on your list. Yeah. So if you go to my website, networkthinking.com, there's a whole list of books there. And I did take it from Santander Bank, but we're constantly looking at books for young children. So I really like the Bernstein Bears. They have different books on yeah, you know, it's mine. <laughs> money and that kind of thing. Really kind of fun mm -hmm. books. And there's some other ones, Bunny Money, there's Denny's Pennies. If you just do an Amazon search, there are some great books there. Or we read Fancy Nancy books. Um, and so yeah. Fancy Nancy Shulala talks about wanting a pair of shoes and not having enough money and then having to do extra chores or, or work yeah. to get money. So I think probably in any children's series today, there are some really good books about teaching that. And it's not just the book, right? It is having a conversation around the book. Why did, mm -hmm. why did Nancy fancy Nancy want those shoes? Like she didn't really need them. And what does that mean? And how much does it cost? And what are chores? And 
should you have an allowance or not? What do you do with your birthday or Christmas money? Like, so the book is a starting point for parents and grandparents to have really have great discussions about everything that's raised in the book. And not always at the time, because I, I don't know about your three-year-old, but if we read a book, it's not like we're going to have a big discussion after, but we can bring it into different parts of the day because with a three-year-old, they want to read the same book 100 times. Oh, I'm well aware. I'm well aware. A <laughs> hundred points of little conversations that they can understand. Now, I mean, I don't know if you find the same thing. I mean, I, I think that what those have in common, because I've, I've done a couple of those and it's smart, it's the concepts of scarcity and rejuvenation of wealth. Like you, it takes action to have money and it also, and there's a limit to it. And that seems like those are kind of the two like cornerstone lessons to be learned from those. Um, is, is, would you say that's about accurate or would you, or am I missing something in some of the other ones? I think that your um, scarcity of money is absolutely true. I mean, we know that mental health and financial well-being are tied into, into all of this. So you need to make money and save money, and you've got to be careful about your spending of money. But I think in terms of the spending of money, it's got to come from a feeling of abundance. In other words, I have enough. I am enough. I don't need to have every single toy or fancy pair of shoes that my friends do. So I think that as parents and grandparents, we need to be coming from that feeling that there is an abundance there. And that's a really hard lesson. I, ha I haven't figured that one out completely with this age group, you know, those three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, but I work on it all the time. <laughs> so the gimmies, give me this, give me that. I want this toy. I want that toy. And we started cutting out pictures of all the things that she wanted, little four-year-old then. and. Um, instead of me saying, no, no, can't have that. No, no, you don't need that. That created conflict. So mm. um, instead saying, no, let's look at that. So we cut out all the pictures. And if there wasn't a picture, we drew it and we made a big list. And we said, okay, now on this list, what is the most important thing you want? And by the time we did all that, it was kind of forgotten that she wanted all those things. So money shouldn't be an area of conflict. So I think we need to set up those conversations and good habits. I also like it that parents and grandparents give books at Christmas and birthdays instead of more toys, and that they give perhaps to a registered education savings plan. So you could have a discussion about education and further education and the cost of education. Oh, that, that's not happening at three though, right? <laughs> well, the registered education savings plan is happening and the book is happening. Well, the conversation about the registered education savings plan isn't happening at, you know, at, at that age, that's for sure. Yeah, not that, yeah. but why didn't grandma and grandpa give me a Lego set or mm -hmm. a Polly Pocket? It's Fair because they, they really value education, and so they're contributing to school for you. you know, that, mm -hmm. So age appropriate. Okay. Excellent. So now we've discussed well, the tactics with my three-year-old. Let's, let's discuss tactics with my six-year-old and <laughs> uh, and talk about as they get older, like how does this evolve? I mean, I've talked about things like the moon jar on this podcast. You know, one of my I'll share one of my little favorite tactics. It's you know, it's the it's the scarcity thing. So he's got he's got an ability to earn money by doing some chores around the house. Not we make sure some of them are included. That he has to do them regardless. Otherwise, he thinks everything comes with a dollar bill attached to it. And one of the actual surprise favorite tactics for this was the Lego flyer that gets mailed to us every month in his name that he loves, but 
if he wants something on that, he knows he has a scarce amount of money and he's going to have to save. And, you know, he's got to have to make trade-offs. If he can have that smaller one now, but he's going to lose the ability to get that bigger one later. So are those common tactics? Like, tell me what other tricks and traps and things that you use. I was just going to congratulate you. Like, that is amazing. That is really amazing because we have to remember that as parents, we're often like kind of overworked, overstressed, overbusy, and you know the things that you should be doing, but they take some time to do them. And you're already helping your son make choices uh, between Mm -hmm. like instant gratification and maybe delayed gratification. And you're helping teach him that some things you do as part of our family, because you're just part of the family. So there are some chores around the house that you do because you're part of the family and you don't get paid. But there are some ways to earn extra money, whatever those may be. And that'll be different in every family. But I think you've hit the nail on the head with a lot of that. Like that is, that's great. Thank you. That's just, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. The, um, I appreciate that. So let's, let's actually have a conversation around the moon jar concept. So actually, even given I'm interviewing you, you want to explain the concept to our, to our listeners so we can have a discussion around tactics with that. Cause I have a few thoughts myself. Yeah. Well, you start cause I don't use that at all in our practice. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. So the moon jar, it's, I, I you know, you can, free spending, saving, sharing. Well, that's exactly what it is, right? It's the spend okay. safe share facility. So let's so I just call it that because there's a branded version of it that I buy for clients okay. and, and my kids. So the three jars no, of spend no, safe no. share. There you go. And I think it was so, uh, watch, that started that. Correct? I think it was Rockefeller that started that. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Of um, he was of course a big philanthropist and mm-hmm. started that um, three jars of there's money and some of it is for spending and some mm-hmm. of it is for saving and some of it is for sharing or giving. And it's yeah, a so, I mean, concept. Personally, I found it hard to implement on a consistent basis, but some parents find it very successful. It's as consistent as the parent. Look, I mean, I'll, I'll say this much. I think the, the, the share part is the harder part, I think, especially when they're younger. But it's, I'll say, like, I think everything is reinforcement. So the tactics I like spending is its own reinforcement. Uh, you don't need to be rewarded for spending. But my son has already learned that every week we will look at how much is in his save slot and I will give him interest, which is the, the interest rate's not fixed. It varies depending on whatever change I want to give him. So he's learned about, he's learning about variable interest rates that way, in effect. And the sharing, which I've, which I've encouraged other people when they get older to do with their kids, when their kids get older, is they see commercials for like charitable causes or they see things that make them sad, right? So it's like, you can help. We can give money to people who help with this sort of thing. You're going to have to, sh- but that means sharing the money, right? Like, in, and then basically help having a conversation around basically charitable benevolence and helping them understand that they can do positive things. So that's, that's what I've encouraged people to do. I think six might be a little bit young. We haven't, uh, you know, sharing thus far has been framed in terms of sharing with his sister, which depends on how he feels about her that day. But how do you, you use these jars? What tactics do you use to make the most out of them? Well, I was going to say the sharing part starts even without money. So mm-hmm. like just even, as you said, sharing with, between siblings, but also donating your two small clothes. Sometimes it's really hard for three, four, five, six-year-olds to donate anything, even if they don't use it. <laughs> so I think the yep. whole sharing um, concept can extend even beyond those money jars. And it can extend to letting go of some possessions to share with others. I also liked what you said about awareness. How you can make a difference in the world. And young children yep. make a difference in the world. You know, now it's all about Earth Day and that kind of thing, taking care of our planet, but taking care of each other on our planet is also important. So if they come across something and you phrased it beautifully, um, they feel sad about something. 
someone doesn't have something, then they can start sharing there. So we want to be able to, yes, share our wealth, but share our time, our energy, um, our clothing that's too small for us. And so, yeah, I think that you do need an awareness of the world around you. And again, that starts very young. You know, why someone got a handout on the street? Why does well, that my, a cardboard sign? My wife will be very happy to hear that her decluttering efforts are considered educational to the kids. So that's that's valuable. Um, Have you tried so, to wrestle some some things from them though that they had when they were baby? Like, like you don't play with that toy anymore. <laughs> you can't give it. Oh, I know. <laughs> well, we we've kind of we also kind of said like, hey, the the toy room's kind of full. If you expect or want to get anything else in the future, you're going to have to start getting rid of the stuff you don't play with anymore. And they're inevitably when you, I think when we, when I empower them to make decisions about what they want to play with and what they don't want to play with, they make those decisions, right? Like, it's like, okay, I don't play with this anymore. Right. And it's at least it's, it's, it's on their terms. Right. And I think that's, there's something valuable about including them in the conversation there. Yeah. And that's a good word empower because what we're talking about today whether you're three, four, five, six, like these young children or we're talking about teens or we're talking about adult children or even parents and grandparents, the focus is really on empowering people to own their choices and to understand where those choices are coming from based on their own values and what's important to them. So it really is empowering uh, when you're able to have these little tiny teaching moments, conversations, um, whatever works in your family and broaden them out as your children are, are growing so that you're keeping with your family values, passing those on to your children, and then empowering them to be good stewards of wealth. So yeah, beautiful word, empower, beautiful word. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's the literal ones. Let's talk about what happens as they hit the preteens and teens, which I have no firsthand understanding of yet. Uh, but, you know, talk to me about the transition into those periods where, you know, they start to have clearly they're becoming more mature. They're getting, they're understanding consequences and scarcity and money more, uh, more freely. So talk to me about how, how that all works and how you coach around that. So they stay the same people. <laughs> they just get more entrenched in their habits. So mm -hmm. in your own family, you might have a real saver, just loves kind of kind of now starting to like accumulate money for the accumulation of money almost. Or you might have a real spender that, you know, can't keep any money um, in their jeans at all. So I think recognizing their money patterns is really important. Often in my own family, particularly one child was very happy to spend my money, but not their money. So if we were traveling, for instance, and three of the kids were buying ice cream, he wouldn't buy it. And then I would kind of feel like, oh, he doesn't have any ice cream and I'd give in and buy him the ice cream, which is not the recommended course of action here, by the way. <laughs> what I actually did then was buy all the kids the ice cream. So I was spending all my money and they weren't spending theirs. So that was not <laughs> really the best thing. But again, it's, um, it's again, your day-to-day -day teachable moments. Another time I remember we were going skiing. And so the kids were just under the most expensive age. So they're young teens, right? So and one of them was in the most expensive age to go skiing. And they said, Mom, you know, it's okay. Like, it's ridiculous that I have to pay this amount. If I was just like six months younger, I could pay this amount. And I'm like, you do not sell your integrity for $10. You just <laughs> don't sell your integrity $10, $1,000. You know, like, so again, everyday teachable moments as a parent and a grandparent, I am not perfect. I make a lot of mistakes. I try to learn from those mistakes, but I try to keep the conversations 
as I said, not confrontational, like, no, can't have that. No, don't do that. No, we can't afford those running shoes for you. Rather than framing it, okay, there's a lot of needs here. Their money is finite. What are the priorities? How are we going to spend our money as a family? Uh, what's important to us? So kids today, whether they're three, four, five, or those teen years, they're smart. Like they're smart. They, they've figured out kind of their family's affluence. They've figured out their neighbors, their friends. What I try to, to do, though, is what we talked about a little bit earlier was teach them an awareness of the world around them and the needs of other people as well as themselves, um, just to create some compassion. And again, that starts really young, too. So they're the same people. They're just more entrenched in their habits. You are the same person as a parent, and you need to be consistent in your um, handling and your messaging of what's important to you. Excellent. So let's talk about when they move beyond that. You know, late teens go to, you know, to early 20s, they go into university pre-work. What's that conversation look like? Because I mean, for a lot of them, for most of them, it's their first real taste of freedom and actual responsibility. And that can, you know, it's, uh, let, let's just say this much. I mean, I just remember some of the conversations I had back in the day about people making rent. And meanwhile, you know, they're complaining that they can't, but meanwhile, they're at the, they're at the bar. And it's like, oh, really? You need to go to the, you need to go to the student food bank? I'm pretty sure you just blew your entire, your meal budget in the last two weeks. So talk to me about what you do at that stage, if anything. Absolutely. My youngest client is 16 years old, just a great young woman. And she and her parents had done something right because she had a part-time job. She saved her money. She put it toward her education. But that is an exception rather than the rule, I would say. So what I try to do in my own practice is um, sit down with the parents, first of all, when kids are in grade 11 or 12, um, talk about who's paying for what, what does a budget look like, how much are the kids responsible for in university, how much are the parents responsible for. And then we invite that young person in to see us. And some of them, um, this is the first time they've come to a big downtown core, got in an elevator, found an office, totally overwhelming. So sometimes they come with their parents, sometimes they come by themselves, and we have a budgeting discussion. You know, how much is university going to cost? Uh, what does the budget look like? How much are you going to contribute? How much are your parents going to contribute? If we have the parents' permission, how much money has been set aside for education, what it's invested in, how long it's supposed to last. So having that conversation and then having them actually complete a budget. Now, your beer example or whatever, the pub example, we know that you can you can take from one area of your budget to the other. But again, going to finite resources, this is the amount of your budget for the year. And then as a parent, you have to say what happens when they go over that budget. So my, my yeah. son that I talked about with the ice cream didn't want to spend his money, wanted to spend mine. I He's the oldest, so I was the strictest on his budget. And uh, he was running out of his meal plan, was getting hungry toward the end of university, but he would not come to me to tell me. And when I found this out, I said, it's okay. You know, we're, we're not born perfect. You don't need to be hungry. I didn't ask if he went to the pub about, you know, extra money or whatever, but um, I helped him out. <laughs> so one of the areas I want to focus on, so we're talking about how we steward them along the way. Let's talk about intervention, right? Like, Something's gone, you know, the kid is clearly having some money spending issues or respect for money issues, whatever, however you want to articulate it. It's just they didn't learn the lessons that we're talking about now, and maybe the relationship with it is unhealthy. They keep on getting credit card debt, they keep on putting themselves in trouble. Like, what have, have you had the experience of having to kind of try to triage the situations? You're nodding yes, good to hear. Oh, how, how have those conversations gone? What are the tactics that have proven effective? The biggest issue with young people is getting a credit card. 
I mean, by far, it is the biggest issue. It should be like, there should be warning lights around it. Danger, 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 because they use the credit card, but they don't pay it off as soon as a purchase is made. And therefore, they have a credit card debt at the end of the month, but they've already spent their budget or their money. And so it's- Been there. Got myself in that kind of trouble more than once. Number one, our way. So- I think that as an industry, and even in my own practice, we don't do enough about the dangers of credit cards. And I think that when we talk about education, and we talked about those maybe teachable moments at any age, it's like, I am using a credit card, but I'm going to pay it off right away. Or I am using a credit card, but I know it comes with the danger side. Or, and this is why. So that is the number one issue. I have bailed out, I will admit, bailed out uh, one of my children when... Uh, they got to the max limit on their credit card. I wouldn't do that again. I really think as a parent, we never want our kids to fail. Like I don't want them to fail at anything, right? I want to want to help them through life, but bailing them out is not necessarily helping them. We should have, no, but- in hindsight, a repayment plan, or maybe just just letting them, yeah, negotiate with credit. Well, card. Uh- I will agree with that stance altogether. I mean, I'm sure I'll be tested on it at some point in the future, and we'll see if I stick on the courage of my convictions. But it's one of those things where we go stronger as human beings through adversity. And I think where I've seen and where where people I know who grew up with a lot of adversity went wrong with their kids when it came to money and the respect of it, and they'll openly confess this to me, is you know they don't want the kids to suffer the way they did or the, to not have the way they did. And I understand that. But the problem is, is that the danger is going too far with that and not teaching them respect that they need to have for it. And so far to, to, to the degree where I even had one of their kids basically say out loud and I couldn't believe this. It was like, you know, I never wanted to do this thing that dad wanted me to do. I wanted us to do this. And the response was, well, how do you think you're going to support your family off that? Oh, that's where my parents' money comes in. And it's like, they didn't do all this for you to just basically do nothing with your existence, right? Like, fine, if that's the way it works out and they're willing to support that, but, you know, that's not, you know, they're not going to make them happy. You're making a bet that they're going to want to support that. Whereas on the opposite end of the spectrum, I've told this story several times in this podcast, I've had the fortune of dealing with individuals who are members of dynastic fortunes, three, four generations deep. And I will tell you, universally, I am always thoroughly impressed by the third or fourth generation. And that is that these people are still hungry and they actually look at family wealth as not being theirs. They kind of look at it as this thing that enables the family to give them all the opportunity in the world. And their job is to steward it and add to it, not to simply say, eh, well, mom and dad's money is going to basically take care of all that. And if anything's left for my kids, so be it, right? And that scenario impresses me so much. And those are kind of, those are some of the people where I've literally said, okay, how, how is this possible that you, that you basically accomplish this? Because it's very easy at certain levels of wealth to just kind of throw it all to the wind and say, yeah, you know, no one's ever going to run out for the next two to three generations if you're that fortunate. But that's not the attitude they take. So, yeah. So, I mean, hopefully, I think I think there's something to be learned from, from those people for all of us. And as for the letting your kids fail, I mean, I think what you said there, maybe not fail, but hey, you got to pay it back. You legitimately yeah, well, have to pay it back. Definitely part of this is paying it back. But I, the, it also depends on the child and the lessons they learn from that. Sometimes we make yep. it easy for them to pay it back. Yep. <laughs> and then they go. No, that's the problem. Um, That's the problem. I've had some cases where we've said, okay, oh, they got into trouble. That's interesting. So here's the loan document and here's the payment schedule, right? And they're like, okay, this is good. I like this idea. Like, you know, and the thing is sometimes you just have to give the give the parents permission to not just tell them to forget about it, right? Because they they feel that pressure. And as the advisor, if you say, look, you can do that, or you can make this a lesson, not a not a punitive one, but instead of letting them go get a consolidation loan at seven percent or whatever it is, like 
you can borrow from your line of two or three, make them pay the interest and make them stick to a schedule and work it out with them. And I'd say more often than not, when someone else is encouraging that and telling them that I can do a positive thing here while not also just wiping it clean, you know, they'll take that option. Definitely. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's, there's just so many, I was just thinking there's so many teachable moments from paying your kids cell phone bills to not paying your kids cell phone bills and uh, uh-huh. that kind of thing. And what you went uh, just before that, Jason, you were talking about three or four generations of wealth and maybe the comfort level those parents have and grandparents and great grandparents have with the family wealth and the idea that it's not mine, it's not my wealth, it's the family's wealth to help educate and um, give people a, like a hand up, not a handout. And whereas mm-hmm. your other example was kids who are just like, oh, my mom and dad will take care of it, which is just such a, a sense of entitlement right there. It's like, it's, I didn't earn it. Yeah. I didn't make it, but I can spend it. Like, that's probably- But it came from somewhere. And that, that's the thing is we know it came from somewhere. It came from reinforced behavior that taught them that for the best of their, for the better part of their lives. Right. And it's, you know, it's like anything else. If you want to, you know, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is right now. And if you want to make sure your kids, unfortunately, sometimes you can't replant the tree when it comes to your kids' attitudes or you can't re-raise them. So sometimes the best time to plant the tree when it comes to them, it's always right now. And you're shortchanging them because if they just feel that money comes from mom and dad, they're not going to really use their skills and, you know, the gifts that they have to make this world a better place. And they're not going to be, as you said, so hungry to go out and really showcase who they are and what they can do. And that feeling of achievement that you get from doing those kinds of things that are important to you. They don't have to yep. because they don't need the money. Yeah. Well, it's, it's also the old Warren Buffett saying about, well, actually, well, so he wrote that essay years ago about like the lottery of the womb. And it's like, he's not going to leave a dynastic fortune to his family because it's like, you didn't earn it. You just got lucky as to who you were born to, right? You won the lottery of the womb. And, you know, as for how much is going to leave, it's, you know, enough that they can do anything, not so much that they can do nothing. Great conversation. Um, in my book, A New Way Forward for Wealth Management Network Thinking, we start at the end, not at the beginning. So, you know, what's your legacy? What do you want to achieve? How much money is too much money for your kids? You know, how much will hurt them rather than help them? So great conversations are based on like, yeah, let's start at the end, not at the beginning. And look at Absolutely. Yeah. And too much of what happens in financial services is geared around the now and the eventual, right? It's like, let's get you to that finish line, but the finish line ain't retirement. The finish line is what you leave behind as a legacy. And if you don't, when you first have the conversation, people are just like, I don't know, right? Like you know, I had this conversation today with someone who's got couples got more money than they can ever spend and they have no, no one to leave it to. And they're just like, like, what are we going to do with all this? I'm like, whatever you want, yeah, but you know, it, like, what are your, that's, what's your purpose? Exactly. Why? What's important? It's the fullest version of your life. And I even said to them, like, they're not, they're, they've given to charity, but they haven't anything, done anything larger structural. And I said, listen, just give it a thought. Like you can, you have enough money to, to basically name a wing of something, <laughs> like small wing, but you have, you have enough. Exactly. So like, just have a conversation about where you actually want to have an impact in the world. And if it's, if the answer is nowhere, fine, but like the money's going somewhere. Right. And you know, if it's the kids, it's, it's going, you know, if it is kids and you do have them there, great. The money's going there, but you know, as, as you know, I've said countless times on this podcast with the professionals is the three people get the money, CRA, your heirs and charity. You can pick two, but the default, the default CRA always gets what they, what they're going to get. That being said, they can get less if you do charity. 
but the heirs are usually the, the second one, but, you know, give some thought to that and help figure out what that, that legacy is anyway. So yeah, starting with the end is a very, very valuable task and or very, very valuable exercise in my opinion. Starting with the end focuses you on what's really important to you. And when we're talking about educating three-year-olds or 13-year-olds or 23-year-olds or even 33-year-olds, it's really based on your values. And so by having that sort of legacy discussion, what's important, uh, what do I value, um, that just helps you in all those teachable moments. It, it can remind you about what you're all about. And it's not keeping up with the neighbors or having the best toy room at, on the block or whatever. It's what's important to you. And it just can stop us from behaviors that are not fitting with who we are as people. So any final words of wisdom before we sign off today? My final word of wisdom is, yes, if you want a complete list of children's books, do go to my networkthinking.com website. I also have a retirement quiz there and a free book offer. So you can just go there and get the free book. I would say also start earlier than whatever age you think you should start educating your children about money matters and make it part of your routine conversations, discussion points, and ensuring always that it is keeping you in line with your own values and the family values. Excellent. And where can people find you, Susan? They can um, email me at information at networkthinking.com. They can um, go to my website, which is www.networkthinking.com. I would love to hear tips and tactics from any parents, grandparents, aunts, and uncles that are listening today and love to be able to just, I share lots of things from my own life and my own mistakes. And I share things that I've learned in working with people for almost 23 years, but I am always open to what works in real life and how do we raise responsible children that are good stewards of your wealth for generations. So please, okay. yeah, I'd love to hear from anybody listening today. Um, info at networkthinking.com. Fantastic. Thank you. And that was my interview with Susan O'Brien. I hope you enjoyed that. And if you're a parent, I hope you uh, take some of that to heed because frankly, it's, <laughs> if you're a parent, I'm sure just like me, you worry all the time that you're screwing up. It's taking the time to make them their minds right about money is actually one of the ways you can make sure that they don't end up screwed up. So as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please review on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you your podcast. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you. 